1: Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Now, this show is about you, and we are here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. If you're new to the show, but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, check out The Art of Charm Toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com toolbox. That's where you'll get the fundamentals of dating and attraction, body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, networking, and relationship management. A whole lot of stuff that's more important than you might think right now. And we've got our live programs running every single week here in Hollywood, California. Details at bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Notice the two dots in there. That's bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Or give us a call here in the office, triple eight four one three. 7177, or even email me, Jordan at theartofcharm.com. I'm looking forward to meeting all you guys here in Los Angeles. Today, we're talking with my friend Pejman Gadimi. Try saying that three times fast. He's a good dude, really, really sharp. Born in Iran in 1982, moved to France, came to the United States, and just crushed it. I'll let him tell you the full story, but he's the author of Third Circle Theory, and he's got a really powerful personal story. We're going to talk about why not being comfortable in business is a good thing how the good is the enemy of the great, and how putting yourself at risk can actually keep you moving forward, why and how to become a master of circumstance, and so much more. This episode went for an hour. It is loaded. I think this is a really, really good episode, and I think you guys are gonna take a ton away from it. So enjoy this one with Pejman Gadimi. You were born in Iran, but here we are in San Francisco, and you live now in Florida. So give us a little bit of backstory. Most people don't just pack up and leave Iran and go. You know what? Let's let's move to America. It seems like a fun place to go. No, I mean I was about 40 years old when uh, we had to flee Iran. Me and my
0: mom during the revolution, mm-hmm. and we ended up uh, against our will going to Europe in France because uh, they wouldn't let us come to the states, no matter how much we tried. Okay. And so we ended up in France, and in France, we uh, kind of she set her kind of her grounds and your mom. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. and started a life for us there. And uh, when she was there, we ultimately uh, did really well in France. And while every day she tried to uh, get us to come to America for 11 years, she tried to get a visa. And eventually uh, it ended up working out. She got a tourist visa, though. Exactly. Which and means so, you got
1: to leave in like two weeks to go. Yeah.
0: So it was incredible because it was like, I don't remember what month it was, but imagine if we're like in July, right? And on like July 15, they tell her that by like August 1st, she has to be have a ticket and be gone. And she can only stay one month. So they knew that she wouldn't be able to stay forever because obviously she had a business. We had an an apartment. We had things we couldn't just leave behind and take off, right? We had furniture. We had a cat. Like we had things that just weren't going to be able to left behind. And so they gave her that with the kind of hope that, fine, you want to go see your brother, get out there, but you're definitely coming back. And she literally in two weeks sold everything in our apartment. Um, did whatever she had to to try to put as much cash as she could aside. And we take off and we go to America where we end up in LA. And she leaves her business behind, doesn't get a dime of it. And her family members pretty much take it and continue to run with it. But she pretty much lost everything she had built.
1: So when you got here as a tourist, how did you then go, oh, by the way, we're never leaving? I mean, how did that work out? Well, how come they didn't we weren't make you- planning
0: to leave, right? Like she had a brother here that was going to kind of he knew kind of how to get through the ropes of getting a green card. So okay. he was like, just come here and we'll figure it out. And then talk about how you can't go back and
1: blah, blah, blah. Yeah, stuff like I
0: that. mean, we couldn't go back simply because, you know, we were part of the Shah era and my family worked directly for the Shah. So there was yeah. definitely a lot of things that prevented us from going back to Iran. But in actual, when we finally got to the States, it was, it was hell for like pretty much a few years, for two years, because we were trying really hard to make like something like we started a restaurant and it failed miserably. Oh, right? Tough business. Yeah, too, failed man. miserably. But we did it to get a green card, you know, to try to show because we couldn't get a job sure. anymore. And I was a child at that point. So I would just kind of deliver like literally I would deliver pizza on a bicycle uh, in the middle of the hood in L.A. <laughs> oh, my God. <gosh. laughs> it was really bad. Man, people would pay me like penny jars and stuff. It's oh, really. Oh, man. But but it was, you know, we, we did what we had to do. And I did that uh, like we pretty much try to make it work where we eventually got a social Security number, just not valid for work. You know, it's one of those, sure. like, here's a social, but you can't do anything with it. Yeah. So, we, and, and it, the journey kind of started there. But we, at that point, we lived uh, with my uncle, who uh, decided that he was going to move to Virginia, Northern Virginia. He was with a hotel. And so we started, took, took a road trip from L.A. to Northern Virginia and uh, drove five days in a U-Haul truck, and, huh. and finally got there. Comfy. Yeah, and where Virginia was really where I kind of set my, my ground up uh, as myself rather than just living under the umbrella of uh,
1: my mom. Now now, when you're moving around, I was just coaching a client yesterday, and he's like, oh, I'm afraid to move. I've lived in Austin my whole life. Moving from Iran to France to L.A. to Virginia, do you find it easier now to just kind of pack up and leave? I really over. do. Not only I do, but I've actually adapted to the idea of change so well that has helped
0: me through my life uh, to not get tied down with the idea of being comfortable. I think that that's been very helpful in business in general uh, as well. And that's, I think, where I picked it up the earliest was through that observation
1: of constantly moving. That's interesting. Not being comfortable as a concept in business, tell us what you mean by that, because I'm feeling what you mean, but I'd I'd love to hear somebody articulate it. I mean,
0: one of the biggest, I guess, paralysis in business is that we get comfortable. You know, we as individuals, we like what we're doing, or we somehow become good at what we do, then we don't become great at it because it's comfortable and it's easy to be good. So what I kind of learned from early on is that I always live and work or do anything I do as if I'm at stake, like I have everything to lose, right? And being uncomfortable like that, you become very resourceful, you start becoming very driven, and you ultimately work as if you never have a choice. Like, you're like the, the choice is, your you're, hanging is off, like, yeah. Yeah, you're hanging off a cliff, right? And you know, when you're hanging off a cliff, like, you always talk about health and stuff. Well, when you hang off a cliff, you have a lot more strength than yeah. when you're at the gym, you know, sure. and you're benching. So what you couldn't bench at the gym, you can do three times more when your life's at stake. Right. Right? Sure, <laughs> sure. So sure. the same thing applies in business. When you put yourself at stake all the time, you know, and don't actually... Uh, consider yourself to be comfortable and like, oh, I have, I made like a hundred, I made 200,000 a year. I'm happy. You know, I'm comfortable. I have a house. I yeah. have this. Instead, you put yourself in a place where you're like, tomorrow I could lose it all again. Then you you fight harder and you push harder and you, you tap into that side of yourself where resourcefulness become resources. It's not about having money to make money. You know, it becomes right. about you.
1: You're staying hungry by pretending that your own back is against the wall and not being comfortable. Exactly. How do you keep yourself uncomfortable? And I totally get what you're saying. It's that there's a quote from somebody. I'm sure somebody will write me and tell me who this is. But the good is the enemy of the great.
0: Exactly. No, that's that's exactly what I was talking about. And I think the way I did it when I grew up, which which really helped me, now I do it in a very different way. But when I first was doing it, I did it because I've always been a big fan of cars. You know, like I've always been a car guy and I've always loved uh, cars. So. Very early on, even back when I didn't have money, I would focus on buying or just getting a loan for a car that I couldn't necessarily maybe afford. Yeah. So it would push me harder to be like, now I have to figure out a way to keep it, you know? Sure. And so the same sure. would happen when I, I, let's say I would buy something or I would put something on my credit card that I maybe knew was not the greatest thing to do, but I knew that if I wanted it bad enough and I was willing to put myself at financial stake, mm-hmm. I would figure out a way, Right. And I also knew that I wouldn't crumble under pressure because some people do that, but then they also don't know how to handle pressure and they crumble. That
1: was my next thing is there's no shortage of people that are buying things on credit that they can't afford. So, But they're not understanding
0: what it takes
1: to buy those things. Like what they're doing is they're buying something
0: they want for the moment. They're not understanding the work that's going to have to come with it to make sure they can maintain it, right? Right. Like I never bought an item. Uh, I bought change. That's what I ultimately bought. I bought change for myself, you know, by, by transitioning to that upper echelon or doing something that I knew was not in the best interest of myself financially at that yeah, moment, yeah. or by sometimes taking an investment risk. Let's talk about something that's not credit-based. Like, let's say I would invest in a stock or something, uh, and I knew I had, let's say, 15000 in my bank account. I would mm-hmm. put 10000 of it, you know, in the stock market, and that risk that it could collapse all of a sudden still was there. And it might have been a long-term play, but that that less five thousand dollars that I had left yeah. would make me feel that
1: I was broke again. So I would have to find a way to keep moving up. Meanwhile, you just had assets you weren't looking at as something that you had that you could sit on. It was or in your mind it was gone as good as gone. Exactly. Because once you invest, you have to also understand that there's a possibility of losing it. Right.
0: So if you invest in something, you also have to understand there's a downside to it. And at that moment, I understood that the minute I made that investment, while it could pan out to becoming a very good investment in the sh- in the long term, I also understood that in the short term, I was not going to have to back down of my life and now live poor because yeah. I had less money. But instead, I was going to have to figure out a way to live to that standard I had previously when I had that next money. So I'm going to have to find a way to gap that bridge, right? Huh, yeah,
1: yeah, to, to, yeah. To bridge the gap for sure. And so, or to throw another example out there, just to make sure I know what you mean, you might buy a house and you put down a down payment, and you consider that all the money you just put down is as good as gone, and you still have to pay off the house. So now you're working your butt off, even though you could have just not bought a second house. Exactly. It spurs you to work harder, and you you think this is as good as gone, but now you own two houses.
0: It also teaches you to move forward and not fall backwards. So this is really important because you know, when I one of the things I said, and we'll talk a little bit more about my banking career. But I had a very good banking career, and I was I had a very comfortable six figure salary. I get literally fired overnight, you know, which is like unheard of in my position. Right. But and, you deserved
1: it, as we talked about. Well, at well,
0: well I, I tell you what. <laughs> the question is, you don't. I don't necessarily think I deserved it, but I, I definitely think the punishment was harsher than correct. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea was. The, the whole literally. point there, like literally, <laughs> yeah. when I actually left though, when that happened, uh, I was driving a really nice car and I remember like the, literally the, the week after I was thinking like, what am I going to, do? no one else is going to hire me yeah, in I'm that screwed. position again. Like I'm yeah. kind of, I don't have a degree. I don't have these things. And I still went out like literally that week and I bought myself a Lamborghini. Like I put myself at stake even more, you know, thinking instead of yeah. thinking like, wow, like now I've lost this huge income. I don't know where things are going to go. I don't have the answers. And yet I'm going to sit there and be like, oh, this is terrible. Let me fold back and try to figure out how to balance out my savings with my growth. I said, F this. I'm moving forward. You know, like this isn't, this isn't going to stop me. It's only going to teach me more. Sure. I went out and bought a Lamborghini and put myself even more at stake now because now I was like, okay, yeah. so I took a huge chunk of my savings out. And I said, let's, let's go ahead and make this happen because I know that where I'm going, this is the lifestyle I want. This is the lifestyle I had to earn. And this is the lifestyle I'm going to keep whatever the hell I have to figure out how to do, I'm going to do. And I think that is what I mean by falling forward is not being afraid just because something in your life has kept you or or has happened that makes you believe you need to fall back. You need to just push forward harder. So when the choice presents itself, just like it did in my life, I urge anybody always think about if you have the choice to fall backwards or push forward even harder and put yourself through hell, Or if you're going to go through hell, what do they say? Like, keep going, right? Yeah, you might as well keep going. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, And I think that's that's the best way to look at it.
1: How do you know if you're the kind of person that can put yourself at stake or at risk and then continue to move forward? Or if you're the type of person that's going to put themselves at stake and then go, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, and then freak out and then collapse? Uh, I think it comes down to belief. You know, I talk a lot about this in my book. I think
0: belief is the only thing I've ever had in my life that's, that's been constant. I've always believed from a very early age that I was gonna be doing something great with my life. I didn't know what it was. A lot of people don't have answers when they're young. I didn't either, but I knew that I was destined for myself, like within myself, I believed that all of these sacrifices my mom had gone through, all of the things I had gone through in my life were meant for more than just me coming to a country and not doing anything. So I believed more than anything else in my life that no matter how bad things would get, one day I would get to where I needed to get. I think the belief part is what a lot of people lack is, you know, they don't have clarity as to how great their path for themselves is. So I guess it's, it it also ties into confidence, right? Sure. Like, yeah. you know, your confidence in yourself, not even in the situation, because no matter how bad the situation gets, no matter how desperate it gets, you can think of it two ways. Like you're in the situation, so there's nothing you can do that moment. The only thing you can really do is find a way to get out of it or move forward past it. And I think getting stuck in the situation is what most people, uh, I guess, lose in life is because they allow circumstance to prevent them from moving forward. Like something that happens that is out of their control is completely something that they get tied into emotionally and they get kind of, they have a reaction to circumstance. Yeah. Where circumstance in life has no effect on my life because I can't control it. Instead, I always focus on what I can physically control. So I think if you're a person, just to answer your question, if you're a person that's very focused on actually having control of your own life and do believe that your destiny is in your own hands, then you are going to more likely be someone that pulls through rather than someone who crumbles. If you do believe, however, on the opposite side, that you are someone who crumbles a lot, then you need to do a lot more work before you keep putting yourself at stake. Right. But here's the sad part. The only way you're gonna move forward is to put yourself at yeah, stake. Yeah, I was know what just it gonna feels say, right. you know you painted yourself into a corner, right? Okay, good.
1: I'm glad you said that. It's funny because it's very, that's so true. It comes down to, and we talk about this a lot at the Art of Charm, and at our live programs, we talk about it all the time, self-trust. I got kidnapped a couple of times, and like I made it through that situation. So I know that if somebody's like, you know I'm gonna write a bad thing about you on the internet. I'm like, "Dude, I had a gun in my head. You know what <laughs> I mean, like go ahead, write me a bad yelp review and i'll I'll handle it. I'll take it from there i'll uh I won't lose any sleep over that. you know, and it is very true that the only way to get that self trust is to either have something really crappy happen to you <laughs> and then make it through or to seek those opportunities to challenge yourself and then make it through, like you said, putting yourself at risk and the other aspect of that, of course, is making sure that you're the type of person that's going to be comfortable being uncomfortable. I hate that cliche, but it's very true because you're not comfortable being uncomfortable. You seek situations in which you can challenge yourself. And that's extremely important because a lot of people, they go, Oh, I'm glad I made it through that. I don't want that to ever happen again. But when you mention circumstances, there's a lot of people that think circumstances happen to you and you're a victim of them and that victim mindset. And one of the mindsets that we surgically remove from your brain when you come to the art of charm is is that victim mindset like you have no control right like that's right. what you're talking about like being a victim of
0: life and being right. kind of like
1: i this happened to me what can i do now you know and right. so on and so forth instead of being at cause where you're like i'm creating these circumstances because if you're putting yourself at risk in that way you can't say when well, life threw me a curveball you go well i did this this is happening on my terms well, I mean, think about this,
0: right? Like, I think fear is the key here to everything, right? We're, I think we're, what we're talking about, underlining here is fear, is fear of life, fear of, you know, the unknown fear of failure, all of these things, it comes yeah. down to fears. And I think that one of the things that I really break down uh, in third circle theory is that there's, there's three circles that everybody in life goes through. You know, there, there's their mastery of circumstance, the mastery of society, and the mastery of life. These three circles are, are the key part to any human being's life, it doesn't matter where you're born, what, you know, how much money you're born with, and and so on and so forth. You're going to go through the circumstance you're born in, you're going to go through the society you live in, and you're going to have to find a way to master your life. Not everybody will get through the three, but everybody will have an opportunity to try to get to the the third circle itself. I'll give you the, this is the best way to look at fear and, and your life in general as you move forward. Uh, a lot of people define money as a reason you become successful uh, in society, right? So they yeah. say, you know, the more money you make, right, then the more successful you are by society standard. But, but money can't really be a measure of success. Uh, and I tell you why. Because we're all born in different circumstances, and we're all born with different baselines. Yes. So how can you compare a baseline of success, right, when everybody's baseline starts differently? So, if money is genuinely a true measure of success, then we should all start with zero, but we don't. Sure. So, some yeah, of us start a with point. a million, some of us start with 10, some of us start mu- negative, you know, we yeah. inherit our parents' debt,
1: right? Yeah, that's very true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or we start in Africa where we have no even access to a road or to a business, right? right. So, so sure. there, there's so many different circumstances. So, if we know this to be a fact that the baselines are different, then success can never be determined by the amount of money. However, it can in, a, in society. So if the first circle is the mastery of circumstance, then this is where the focus needs to be because the mastery of circumstance, we're all born in a circumstance. And that circumstance, we have to learn to master to not be a victim of the system. So in other words, whatever circumstance we have, we need to understand that everything is in our hands to get out of it. If we master circumstance, then we're given a shot at being masters of society, meaning we function, like we do really well in circumstance. We become confident, successful in our own understanding and our belief is reinforced. We get a great job in corporate America, we grow into a society, and no matter where we live, we live within a society, whatever that society is for that environment or where we are. That society then determines our success through our monetary gain. We gain a certain level of money, and then we yet again transition past that where society says you've now mastered society and you're able to move on, which then we get a real shot at the third circle, which is what I talk about, which is the mastery of life. Life, however, since we gauge that success cannot be determined by money, because money obviously was uh, the founding of society, right? The measure in society, money cannot be the mastery of life. There is, however, one thing we're all born with that we like it or not, that we are wealthy or poor, we're all born with fears. So fears become ultimately the mastery of life. Whoever masters their fears the fastest and takes control of their fears is able to master their life the fastest. What that means is the faster you become comfortable with fear, the faster you're able to make decisions based upon what really matters rather than decisions based on paralysis of what you don't think you can do. And the only way we get over our fears is really, the only way we get over our fears of the unknown, which is the primary fear that dominates most of society, is not knowing what's behind the door, not taking the leap of faith and going into business for ourselves, not approaching the person we think is attractive on the street because we're afraid of being rejected, right? Because we don't know what that rejection looks like. We're afraid of it. So the only way we can get through that fear and master it is through the routine of practice. Because the more we become familiar with the feeling that comes after the fear, the more routine that feeling becomes and the easier it becomes to just continuously make it a habit instead of being afraid to move forward. So in other words, it, let's use the example of approaching people on the street that we don't know sure. uh, in order to be, let's say this is the art of charm, right? So yes, let's talk about this charm. Is, yes, correct. Right? Correct, us <laughs> This show. is going to kind of the, the charm of, of people, right? You want to approach someone you find very attractive, but you're afraid to, right? Like you, you're afraid of that rejection. You're afraid of what may happen. Well, the only way you're going to get over that fear is you're going to approach them. You're going to get rejected. You're going to get really comfortable with the feeling of rejection. You're going to get comfortable to the point where it's no longer going to become a fear to become rejected. So at that point, the more you practice, right, the more you're going to be able to not focus on the fear of that rejection, but rather the execution of the item itself. So instead of actually worrying the minute you're approaching that person about them saying no, you're gonna really be more focused on what to say to that person, and eventually it, that that fear is gonna start going away. Your confidence is gonna build because you've been through it before. You kind of know the reactions and you know the patterns that are gonna happen because you've done it before. And so even though the failure was all you knew before, now every time you're falling down, it's no longer taking a toll on you it's becoming a one second thing in your head where it's like, oh man, I I strike that again. And you're gonna go back out and try it. Now the difference is that after like 10, 15 tries, you're gonna start realizing that your confidence is actually the reason why you are getting a better response and you are continuing to get it. exactly. And you're eventually gonna end up with one of the people that you actually were thinking you should have approached to begin with versus that one guy who's sitting back and saying, you know what, like I'm not even gonna approach this person or what would happen if I did or how should I approach it? The more you think about how to do something, the more fear caves in and starts taking over your routine. Right. That's why
1: we have what we call this two snaps rule where if it's if you wait longer than this, then you're going to talk yourself out of it, you're going to start that's going to start to build up in your head. And of course, you follow that rule for a couple of weeks and you don't need it anymore because you don't the hesitation is not of the habit yeah exactly
0: and so when we were talking about victimology like what you were talking about being a victim of life uh, instead of a a doer in life let's relate all of this back to that the the way people look at being a victim in life is that they think that they ultimately take a choice right they look at their life backwards that's why they make a mistake so they look at a choice they make then they wait till an outcome occurs then they look back and put like they say good or bad choice you know they're like oh let's say they get married they choose to get married they go through the marriage, right? And then, like, let's say the marriage fails after three years. Right, and they feel really hurt. Right, yeah. then they look back and they say, being married was a terrible choice. Right. Versus people who are not victims, and I, again, this is something that we break down in the first circle, learn to actually move forward by saying, I've made a choice, now my actions determine the outcome of that choice. So they no longer think about, like, choice equals outcome backwards, you know, like the outcome then relates to the good or bad of the sure. choice. Instead, they look at choice being a neutral thing, like they've chosen to do something, not that it had a good or bad outcome to it, or it's going to have one. And then they understand that their actions following that choice are the only thing that decipher the outcome that is gonna come forward. So by realizing that the actions are the core of what is gonna change the outcome, not the choice itself, then they're ultimately choosing to put all the blame on themselves for the good or bad that occurs. Therefore, no longer being a victim, but being someone who has the power to make any outcome they desire.
1: That's really, really insightful. And it's at the core of what's taught at The Art of Charm. A lot of guys will come in and go, well, here's what happened and here's what's happened to me in the past. And everybody who comes through has one thing in common, which is they're ready to start taking the reins. And the sooner you do that, and tell me whether or not you agree, the sooner you do that in life, the better off you're going to be, generally speaking, because I know plenty of guys that are 50 that still aren't ready to accept that they can change their circumstances and that circumstances are something that happens to you. I, I give you a great example of that because this happened in my life very early on, like you
0: said. Uh, I was 14 years old looking for a job. Obviously, I didn't like we talked about earlier. I didn't have a green card. So and yeah. I had a social security that said not valid for work. While most people would say, oh, I hate working at McDonald's, I was begging for a job at McDonald's and it wasn't working, right? Because obviously McDonald's was a big organization and they yeah. check your papers. Red tape. Right. Exactly.
1: The pesky verification systems that but, require But you, I yeah. was
0: determined to yeah. not feel like a victim of the system and said there is no way I can work. You know? So I said, you know what? I'm going to keep looking. And eventually I walk in my cafeteria and I see these guys offering a job and it says customer service jobs. And I say, you know what? Like, I'll try this. You know, it seems like a small company. I'll give it a shot, right? Yeah, and so, they'll, they'll believe my line yeah, of crap about so, <laughs> my social security number. <laughs> so I told them I don't have my card, but I have a school permit. You know, but I had a social number. So they were okay. They didn't check. Uh, this I appears to job. be seven digits long. We're good. Exactly. <laughs> I got a job, and I ended up getting a job that paid twice what McDonald's paid. Plus, yeah. it had the chance to be permission-driven. Now, the best part about this is that most people, like we kind of talked about earlier, in a telemarketing job hate what they do, right? Like yeah. they get in, they're like, oh my God, like I hate dreading work and everything else. But for me, I wasn't a victim, right? Like I wasn't, de- I was there because I wanted to be, right? right? I understood what I was, what I had to lose. Like I was at stake again, like we talked about. Right. You hustled to get that job right. rather than getting it in an unemployment line and exactly. it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So when I went there, I actually, and I barely spoke English, just take that. Like I wasn't speaking good English and I was in a, <laughs> in a business where I had to be on the phone all the time selling oh, well. people
1: talk about putting yourself at stake. I knew nothing about sales. Yeah. I
0: knew nothing about anything. I was just a kid and I was like, I'm going to do this because I have no choice and I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. And while they kept giving me leads and I don't know if I can share what my first client's name was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm okay with it. (laughs) (laughs) My first client's name was Mr. Black Dick.
1: (laughs) And this is no
0: joke, man. I'm dead
1: serious. (laughs) So Uh, that's a name that'll serve you well in college. So
0: I end up like calling this guy and he Here's me a new one and he hangs up on me. And so I'm like, okay, this is going to be the best job I've ever had, right? So again, do I choose to be a victim or do I choose to make him phone calls? I choose to make phone calls. I continue through it. But guess what happens? I make 5,000 phone calls, not a single response, right? Oh, man. So again, are you a victim and you sit there and you're like, man, this was the wrong job. This was the wrong opportunity. Or do you create your own opportunity? You figure out a way where the people you're calling I was selling siding and windows weren't obviously buying the crap I was selling them. Sure. So the best thing you do is you figure out who needs windows and who needs siding, people who have damaged windows and siding. Sure. So you try to figure out where there's damage in the areas from hailstorms or storms, Uh and you call those people from the phone book instead. So you go out of your way, you do everything you're not told to do, because you think something's going to work better and you don't want to be a victim. Right. So you oh. can you can choose, you know, to sit there and just take everything life throws your way and say, oh, I'm just going to keep taking it. Hopefully it'll get better one day. Or you can see why the patterns are broken and create a new pattern because obviously doing the same thing over and over and expecting something to happen differently is right. not going to work. And that's how you got a job throwing rocks at people's siding.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, it worked, you know, and that resulted in me having $2,500 a week paychecks selling yeah. windows and siding instead of, having $200 bi-weekly paychecks, you know, from working a few hours as a telemarketer. Getting your your base or whatever. Exactly. And so that, and then constantly understanding that I was at stake and I was possibly losing the only job I could afford to not lose, you know, I ultimately kept working until I became a director of that same company by 18, which ultimately opened up my ways to becoming a bank manager at 18 years of age, which was unheard of without a a college education or anything else. So again, the victim mentality would be to just sit there and take what life throws at you, not having a social, not having the opportunity to work, not having the regular opportunities and say, I came to this country for opportunity, nothing happened. But instead, it's to actually take it and understand that the choice to come to this country had no correlation with the outcome. But my actions in between were going to make the difference. And if that choice was a powerful, that is going to have powerful a powerful choice. outcome or not.
1: Yeah, that's that is powerful. I don't think most people think that way. Um, I mean I know most people don't but think they should. That way. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, wouldn't that be empowering? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> the more people take control, the better our future becomes, right?
1: Yeah, of course. So okay, so you started with that and then you became the manager yeah. of a branch of a bank. <laughs> exactly. And um why did you get that job and what did you do with it? You d- you just Opened up new accounts for people? How did that work? The, the, exactly.
0: So what ended up happening is, first off, I couldn't even get, I mean, how do you become a bank manager so young, right? Yeah. It's like almost impossible. So what I did is I walked in into a supermarket branch where they had, a, like they had a, a, an actual bank inside the supermarket. So I walk in that bank, and uh, the, the way I prove myself to the guy who thought it was a joke that I was even there for an interview is I ask him, what's your goal here? Like, what are you here to do? And I, by that point, just to keep in mind, I was great at selling, right? Because I sold to people on the phone when I'd been seeing them right. $20,000, $30,000 roofs, Mr. Right? Black Dick yeah, bought exactly. a huge amount <laughs> of, from you, so. I never got that guy to find there, yeah. <laughs> But nonetheless, I was in banking, you know, at that point. And like, I was I was at the interview, and the, the guy that was hiring, you know, he's actually a peer manager at that time who was, I guess, trying to filter out people who weren't qualified for the job. And he just, he was completely against me. He was like, you know what? Like, you're probably not going to get anywhere. So he was throwing me really dumb questions to kind of get dumb answers. And then I end up asking him, I was like, hey, what's your goal here? What are you here to do in the supermarkets? Like, what, what is the job of a manager? He's like, to get a lot of sales, you got to go out there and get stuff done. So I look at the branch we're at, and I'm like, these people aren't doing shit. They're like sitting around the, the computers. They're not going out and getting business. So I was like, "How are you meeting your goals?" They're like, "We're not." That's where we need someone like really strong. And I was like, "So is the goal really to get people?" He's like, "Yeah." I was like, "What do you need them to do?" He's like, "Open accounts." I was like, "Okay." So I was like, "Let me show you something really cool." So I walked in the aisles, and I literally got two people to walk back to the desk without knowing anything about the product, service, or anything else. Yeah. And I did that just because I understood, like, the idea of convenience and having a bank there. Yeah. And so I just created a conversation with two people who agreed to come back. Uh, and when they came back, he was just so stunned. It was so like, what the hell just happened? And I had no idea what the products were, what the services were they're offering, what their competitive advantage was. All I knew is that it was convenient to have a bank in a supermarket and right. they were the only ones doing it. So I played off of that. So I suddenly made him from my like number one enemy to like my number one supporter. And he starts becoming a cheerleader for me you know, and puts me in the next interview round and, and just kind of completely like
1: follows it through and ends up getting me the job. Right, his emails are saying, ignore this guy's yeah. resume, <laughs> ignore this guy's age give him a shot. I tried to filter him out and he made, you know, he yeah. brought and customers so, to his friggin' job interview.
0: And, and I did so well. I did so well in my first year in banking, you know, just bringing in sales and focusing on what I knew, not what I didn't know and focusing on the things that I wasn't good at. And because obviously I had never managed the bank and I understand the logistics or anything else, but I learned, you know? Yeah. And, and I wasn't good. I wasn't good at managing people that are much older than me because in my previous role, I managed People were younger, you know, in the, in the same age group. And now I was managing people who were 40, 50 years old. And it wasn't working right off the bat, you know? And so I focused on what I knew how to do, which was blow my sales out the box. And that led me to kind of heading like an HR training program for teaching other people in the supermarkets, uh, like how to sell. And then from there became a regional manager. From there became market manager. And then eventually grew to hold down. Uh, just the entire like uh, corridor of uh, a new project we had, which was the airport uh, banks. I came up with this idea right. to put banks inside airports, and then kind right. of you know build that, which became highly successful as well. So growing from you know uh, a basic bank manager to to the vice president of a bank, and being able to actually uh, move. Uh, all of these sales and and manage so many people, I really found my passion in that, that it wasn't sales, it wasn't banking, but it was ultimately leadership and helping grow talent. And I found through all that, that even though, believe it or not, I hated my job, even though I was really good, very compensated, and I was very uh, powerful at what I did, I still didn't love it as much as I loved when I gave people chances from scratch and built them up to be excellent at what they did, which kind of opened up my eyes to my quality or my strengths are not, based upon managing banks or making money, but rather focus strictly on growing talent. And I think this is important to note for people listening because a lot of times people go into jobs saying, this isn't the career I want. This isn't the job I want, right? Like they're, they're not happy with what they're getting. But sometimes they fail to, because they're so unhappy right off the bat, they fail to realize that within that job, they might find something they're particularly good at. They'll open up a door thousands of new things and a new life for them outside of that, right? But they're so narrow focused on the idea of just not liking something that they don't keep their mind open that the job is only an entry point into yourself. No different than entrepreneurship or small business ownership.
1: Yeah, this actually makes a lot of sense. A lot of people don't realize that it's just as important to find out what you don't want than it is to find out what you do want. And having a job that you think you're going to hate is actually a part of that. Because I worked at a movie theater. That was one of my first jobs. And, and I went, oh, this is stupid, but a lot of my friends work here, and et cetera, et cetera. And I, I've learned so many things about dealing with people, dealing with difficult people, working with wealthy people, because it was owned by the same family that owned Little Caesars Pizza and the Detroit Red Wings. And de- just working with different people in different socioeconomic classes and things like that. And, I mean, I learned all these skills that I had no idea I was going to pick up at age 16. It, it made you who you are today. So without them, I think uh, a lot of people don't realize they
0: go into jobs for the pay, they go into jobs for what they can get out of it. They don't go into, job for, into jobs for what they are going to get out of for themselves as an individual right. rather than the monetary or what society teaches us to
1: get yeah. out of it. Yeah, of course. And, and so you took all this and you enjoyed developing that talent. And you're doing some of that now. I mean, tell us about one of your businesses, Secret Entourage. So Secret
0: Entourage uh, was ultimately created when I got fired from that job. I got canned for that job because I was too flashy. I was driving around Ferraris with like 30k Rolexes. It was pissing off a lot of people. And apparently it's not the best thing to do when you're a banker, you know, like to just showcase that way. So it didn't work out. Ideals changed. I was forced to resign. In other words, a nice way to say, get the hell out of here, you're fired. And when I left there, like I said, I bought myself a nicer car. I kind of stayed the course in my life in terms of I was going to continue to grow from here. I had already started two side businesses that were doing well. One was a concierge service, which at the time was just a car tuning shop called VIP Motoring. We customized exotic cars, and that continued to grow. And I really invested some time and money into it after I left banking. Sure. Uh, The other one was a consulting agency, which was ultimately geared to help kind of teach other organizations how successful I was in terms of service model creation. Uh, and other things that I had done in banking. So I decided I was going to come up with that in order to make money. These two companies grew exponentially over the few years, and it led me to a great question, which I think a lot of people ask themselves a lot. And that question was, after I had made money, after I was back in my A-game, and after these businesses were doing well, the question was, is my life's purpose only to make money? And so because I was doing well, I figured, hey, why not most people would say, let's just ride the wave and keep making more money. Sure, but I decided to take a pause for a moment and say, okay, my businesses are doing well. Instead of focusing on making more money because I already have enough of it, how do I make my life count? And I I thought to myself, I said, everything that my mom had done, which we kind of talked about, all these sacrifices she had made had to mean more than me just coming to this country and making a few bucks because she was doing well in France. She could have kept that going. Why, Why leave Europe? Sure. Yeah. to come to the United States. I asked you that at breakfast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, why leave something great, right? Like, well, to come here and start at zero again when yeah. I could have just taken over that business or continue to do well, right? right. Like, because I believe in her mind, she believed that there would be a better opportunity for me here. And so in my mind, in the back of my mind, I always knew there had to be more than just money because money couldn't just be sacrificed for more money later. That doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to me then, and it still doesn't today. Like, it's, it can't just be about money. And since I said, you know, in Third Circle Theory, I talk about money is only the mastery of society. So I started questioning, what is the mastery of life? Like outside of just letting go of your fears, what do you let go of your fears to do? And so I thought to myself, if my talent was to impact so many people during my banking career where I could coach and mentor so many managers and people who worked for me into becoming great at what they did, I even mentored a guy from being a parkometer made to becoming like vice president of business banking. Within four years, you know, without any degree or anything. which Unbelievable. Right? So I figured if I had that talent, how can I apply it to millions of people instead of 100 people a year? Yeah. And I wasn't in banking anymore. So I said, you know what? Let me come up with an actual group because I get this question a lot. People ask me, they were like, you drive a Lamborghini. What do you do? You're so young and so on and so forth. I said, why don't I come up with a way to impact all these people by just sharing the story my story, as well as other people's stories who own exotic cars who are young and what they do for a living. So I said it would be interesting to have a look into the lives of the wealthy, except not in the sense that the movies do it or the shows do it where they show you the boats and they show you what people are doing. Yeah, cribs. Yeah, which is obnoxious, right? Like what I was looking for was more like, how do you use lifestyle to motivate kids, but also share with them information they can use and apply tomorrow so that they know that not everyone has to go to college, not everyone has to follow the traditional path society has for them, and that there's still a lot of success out there, even when you don't. And I decided that that was going to be called secret consulting at the time, which was the same thing as my consulting agency, and quickly learned through failure that it was boring, you know, and certain things weren't working out. And I didn't have a background in IT, I didn't have a background in anything at all that involved internet marketing, or being on the internet, or, you know, even selling free stuff on the internet i wasn't even in that market no of course so i didn't understand anything about it but i said you know what it's only going to make sense if this idea that i have in my head is built by other people who believe it who also are uh, i guess byproducts of my growth of my coaching skills so i hired the 16 year old kid who didn't like i hired him for free so i told him you're not going to get paid anything for 10 years do you want to work for me yeah he looked at me like i was crazy but he's like fine he's like i'm in He's like, you have a nice car. You probably know what you're doing. He's like, I'm in. So I, I would take
1: that deal in a second if I were that right. age. Yeah,
0: so he took it, and, and he jumped on this journey with me, and that journey attracted more people who believed in what we were doing, and it took three years to figure it out. You know, It took three years of tweaking the site, tweaking the message, getting the right uh, kind of literature out there and getting the right setup out there to really become a very good source of motivation, inspiration, and to bring entrepreneurship out of people. Like we know that everybody has entrepreneurship within them at some point, you know, to some degree. They don't. Sure. Not everybody's meant to become an entrepreneur, but everybody has some sort of entrepreneur in them. And we figured what better than a website that would inspire that out of them and make them more productive members of society. And if they choose entrepreneurship, then it would give them a true scope at becoming an entrepreneur. Because for us, this is important. We looked around and said, every website out there, every message out there is always about money. Every site is about, hey, join my site, you'll make millions of dollars. Join this, buy this program, do this. And we decided we didn't want to do anything like that. We wanted to offer a free resource to teach younger people or even anybody that who wants to become an entrepreneur or take on entrepreneurship or become more entrepreneurial, what entrepreneurship truly was, which was value creation. Business is about profit. I own two businesses. They're profitable. They make money. You know, I buy into businesses. They're profitable. They'll make money. It's an investment dollar for dollar. But entrepreneurship has no correlation to money up front. It's about creating value or creating change or facilitating change for people. And through that, at some point, it crosses over with business and becomes monetized. But the true nature of entrepreneurship is about value creation. And I don't mean in the sense of you create value, you get payment right, for your sure, value. Sure. But once you facilitate for people a way of thinking, change the way they think, change the way they do business, then you ultimately not only at some point will get a larger reward, regardless that it's monetary or not but you will also be able to facilitate change for society moving people forward, which is why I think entrepreneurship had lost its glamour for all the years being mixed in with money. And I think we've done a tremendously good job past the five years trying to bring that back. And we've done that with a twist where we use beautiful imagery of current exotic lifestyle to really motivate younger people and not look at it as some cheesy, like a re- rented Lamborghini or something. But rather right. right these are the cars that belong to the people. We, vi- we verify them. We make sure they are who they are, you know, and that they've really done what they've done. And all of them teach one thing they've done great. So imagine if you had a, a place where for free you could learn for, from everybody who's done something great, but only one thing they've done better than everyone else. And they would each combine you know, as one person teach you, ultimately be your mentor instead of one person being your mentor, because that's very one sided. Right,
1: right. It's, it's a lot of like what we're doing here where every guest on the show becomes a mentor at some level. And you create the greatest mix of people that you can to teach people things for free. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And be under the premise that legacy is greater than currency.
0: Yes, 100%, very well said.
1: But okay. it takes currency to get people off their duff cuz nobody says, "I really just want legacy, man," when they're hungry. But you know
0: what it is is it's again, this is what I talk about in third circle. There there's you have to master society. You have to learn to make money before you can focus on mastering legacy. Like you can't you can't actually say you belong and have mastered the way society works if you haven't played in its currency, and the currency in society is money. So as much as, right. you know, like I I'm anti money in the sense that it is not the only measure of success. I also believe that without it, and without having proof to your peers within that society yeah. that you're able to function within it and be successful, then how can you venture out and prove them that your ideas are better than theirs?
1: Right, because it's like if if someone says, "Well, money's not the only thing," and you find out they live in their parents' basement, you say, "And well, they're broke." Well, yeah. obviously, it's not to them because they don't know how to make it. Right, so, and then but if people if you say money's not the only thing, and people go, "Yeah, right," I bet this guy is broke, and then you drive off in your spider they're like wait he doesn't care about this and he takes action that shows he doesn't care about this but he's got plenty of it he obviously knows how to make it and realized it's not important not the other way around in in order to be
0: heard right like you can be eccentric and be broke and nobody pays attention right you can ask any homeless person but you ask someone like mcafee you know who does like cook on on camera right right and he's made a million or billion dollars and then you know, everybody's like, well, why, see? like they pay attention, right? Sure. So again, you know, ultimately money is the way you buy your
1: voice. I hope he's, is he on your, uh, is he on secret No, authorized? no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> didn't quite make the cut. No, he didn't quite, that okay. wasn't quite the right image. We about <laughs> Good. Just making sure. Just making sure. So, but how do we rethink our logic behind decision making? I mean, it's really easy for us to go, oh, you know what? Legacy is greater than currency. You need to think about this from this angle and not that. I think a lot of people are going, yeah, it's easy for you guys to say, I work at frickin Target right now. This sucks. But but I think you choose to work at Target, if that's what you yeah. yeah, I don't think you're forced to work at Target. But though. of course, th- those people don't see it that way. But but I, think,
0: but I think because they can't see far ahead, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they only see, like, the, the current... Like, uh, again, let's go back to third circle ideology. If you look at my the, the graphic, and again, I, we, we can post that for people to take a look in the show sure. notes, but the... The actual three, there's three circles, and the first two circles have a field of vision that is very narrow-minded. That narrow-minded means that you can only see what's in front of you for that moment. You know, you're only acting and reacting to the universe as it shows you what's what's happening to you, you know? You're very reactive up front when you're born because you don't have a choice. As you start mastering society, you become a little bit more active, you take a little bit more control. But then ultimately, it is only in the third circle when you start getting past the idea of society that you can remove yourself from the equation and not think that the world revolves around you. Take a moment and actually understand that the world is not just floating around just because you're in it. And ultimately, you start understanding that you play such a small part of that you know, piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. that you start wanting to play a larger part in it. And so by understanding that you're not the center of the universe, you're able to take yourself out and actually observe things that are happening to you and understand why they're happening to you. Uh, a, good, a good saying is that: is if you look at your relationship as a whole with someone you're, you're in love with or anything else, you look at that relationship from a first-person perspective. Whatever's happening to you has an emotional reaction back and forth. But if you actually ask your friends to analyze your relationship, they have a completely different take on it yeah, because they're not course. part of the equation, right? They're right. Not, they don't have the emotional involvement in it. So when they remove themselves from the equation, they have a very clear vision on what you should or shouldn't do because they're not looking at it biased from one side or another. So the same can be said about life. If we remove ourselves from the equation, then we're able to see the grand scheme of things. And we're able to not use our feelings to make decisions, but rather make logical decisions that are gonna move us forward until we're in a place where our feelings can play a bigger role in those decisions. But I think if more people made conscious decisions instead of reactions to decisions, then they would get a lot further.
1: How do we start to cultivate that process? I mean, it's re- it can be really hard to remove yourself emotionally from decisions. It's
0: not, actually. The, the, the only thing is, it's almost like your double snap rule.
1: You know how you, said, yeah. you know you snap, you think too much? Right. Well,
0: here's the exact difference. Emotions and reactions happen within an instant. So when something happens, when an action occurs to you and a, you, an immediate reaction occurs, right? Sure. Like now, that first reaction that occurs is emotional in nature. It first goes to your brain. Yes. And then your body, you know, response to that, whatever it is, right? Yeah. So if, if someone pushes you, your response is to like get angry and then push back, you know? Sure. So the, the main thing is that the main way we, we kind of cultivate change in that area is to make sure that whatever emotional reaction we have at that moment, we don't allow it to become physical action in, in any form, or shape, but give it a 20-second rule. So in other words, whenever something happens to us, we just stop, we don't react to it, even though we, we feel something, and then once we've cooled off, we allow ourselves to react to it. And then we can truly understand if that reaction by itself will have a reaction that could put us in an even worse place. Sure, so, so it's
1: a matter of self-discipline.
0: Yes, exactly. It's a matter. It's a matter of just holding back the action part. Yes. You know, the, the emotional part, we can't control instantly, right? Because we're emotional beings. You. So, yeah. we, you know, we, we're going to get angry. We're going to get pissed. It's yeah. just like if our boss tells us our performance is crap, even though we know right. we are doing a great job, we're angry. But we, we choose to restrain ourselves more at work because we have so much more at stake. We could lose something, right? So right. we have to feel the same way at home. And if, we, if we're able to restrain ourselves at work, that also means that we have the same capacity at home we just choose to not believe we're at stake like we talked about earlier. Right. So, so we choose that we have nothing to lose so we can go out there and have that action. So we, in, order, in order to answer your question, I think the, the pause in between the emotional reaction and the action is the best course of action. That's true.
1: It's funny, I use the inverse of that when people say, what should I do? I'm torn between you know, moving to this new job and leaving this one that I love where my girlfriend is or whatever. And uh, I tell them to flip a coin and choose while the coin is in the air based on what side they hope it lands on. Because you have that immediate emotional reaction, however slight, that says, oh, I hope it doesn't land on, and it's not even this coherent, but it's, oh, I hope it doesn't land on moving. Y- you've already emotionally made the choice. Your gut already says one thing. On the other hand, if it's a really big decision, like something business, financial, or or otherwise, you should probably do the pause and wait until you can think about it logically.
0: But, I mean, it, it, yes and no as well, because it, it, it's so specific to each situation. Right? Yeah, It, I, it I depends think,
1: on whether or not, it, if you're looking at relationships, you should decide emotionally probably. If you're looking at career and business, you should definitely decide logically most of the time.
0: Most of the time. I think that's, I think that's a good way. But I think ultimately people need to know themselves enough to know what matters to them. Of course. Right? And, and I think when they choose what matters to them, they need to take a moment and understand what is the best way to ultimately achieve the greatest goal in the long term and to let go of the idea of instant gratification. Sometimes you have to let go of the idea of getting something today or getting much more in the future, right? Like if you work at Target sure. and you have the choice to go in and out with your friends or working overnight to make more money so that next day you can continuously build and eventually buy a house, right? You need to make that decision today rather than just wait and say, oh, I want to go to a party anyways, but I want the house too, right? So, so you have to get out of that instant
1: gratification mindset. So how do we how do we start to separate ourselves i mean you you and I talked earlier at breakfast about owning the situation and that good or bad choices do not necessarily equal good or bad outcomes that That's a interesting theory slash principle that I think most people don't understand, and I'll just repeat it again: good or bad choices do not equal good or bad outcomes, and people they often like you you touched on this before, right. Well, you look back and you say, well, marriage was obviously a bad idea. And you say that this choice was bad because the outcome was, in it, at the end, bad. But that's not necessarily true. It's just a trick our brain plays on us. Correct, yeah. So the action in between is what deciphers the actual
0: like, outcome, not, not the actual... Like the outcome, you can't look backwards and say the outcome and then look bad and be like, that was a bad choice, Right. Because choice is always neutral. It's just choosing between two elements. Yes. Choosing between one and two. Whichever path probably has its set of difficulties and a set of challenges and a set of, you know, great things that are gonna come your way. The the real question is how you handle each that comes your way. So I think both choices, even if both look bad, can still end up with one having a positive outcome as long as you understand that the actions you take, you know, throughout that journey are ultimately what's gonna lead you to the outcome you desire. I think most people believe that that there's this predetermined path and there's nothing you can do about it. You
1: know, you're kind of either going to be great or you're going to suck at something. Some people believe that. I think that's a rationalization, though. I think people think, let's say I'm that type of person. I look at you and I go, well, sure, you know, your family has good genes because you said that your family worked for the Shah, so they're smart. And then you moved and you got a chance to start over because you didn't have all the complications of having a normal American upbringing and family. So you had this unique opportunity Whereas you go, are you kidding me? You're looking at my situation as an advantage compared to you? I mean, most people wouldn't do that. But if you worked at a gas station, people would go, well, you know, he had to move from Iran and then he moved to France and then he moved here and he started over and he's a single mother's a single mom. So like he had a lot of cards stacked against them. They're looking at the outcome and they're rationalizing but it backwards But it's easier to
0: accept failure than to seek success, right? Yeah, of course. It's much easier, right? Like, I mean, yeah. it, it's easier to look in a mirror and say, you know what? I'm not making it, but so are these other people not making it. It's right. good look enough, at, you know? The Times are tough. Look right. at the economy. Exactly. And look you at know. everybody else. Right. You know, and no one else is making it either. There's just a
1: select few. There's only 1%, right? And then dot, 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 wham, wham, it's so yeah, unfair. Exactly. The deck is deck against me, all this stuff. <laughs> and yeah. this
0: is also the same reason why there's so much negativity around people, right? Like when you're trying to do something successful and you're surrounded by people who were unsuccessful previously because you were unsuccessful, and all of them are telling your ideas are stupid or what you're trying to work on is dumb because... They typically don't want you to succeed because if you right. do succeed, not that they hate you and therefore they might love you, but if you do succeed, you will become a reflection of what they could have become that they didn't. We talk about this right? all and the so time. And so they'll fall back and be like, wait, I can't be your friend anymore. <laughs> right. And that's why a lot of people have very different friends from yes. the time they're unsuccessful to the time they are very absolutely. successful.
1: We say on the show a lot, you only go as high as your five closest friends. Not only is that so true on the way up, but it's absolutely true while you get there because- And our boot camp graduates have to deal with this too because they come in, and maybe they come in shy or maybe they come in normal and they want to get a skill set that propels them ahead of others. And then they come out and their friends are like, wait, you want to go to this event with all these wealthy people and you want to quote unquote network and make connections and you're trying to offer help to these entrepreneurs? What do you have that's valuable? You're just being a poser. You're just being, you just want to hang out with these people because you're a douchebag now. And you can either believe those people and go back to playing video games on the weekend or feeling sorry for yourself, or you can go, man, he just doesn't get it. Because at the end of the day, some people who are go getters will be really excited for you and say, yeah, I want to learn how to do that. I didn't, you know, they'll take control of their circumstances. Other people go, oh, wait a minute. You got a promotion. You're earning more money. You have a beautiful girlfriend. You're starting to buy property or you're starting to do a different career that you actually enjoy. This starts to highlight the fact that they're just still complaining about their circumstances. And that differential be- eventually becomes so uncomfortable for them that they break with you, but not before trying to bring you back down to their level several times, back into where they're comfortable with where you're being. Because
0: they don't want you to prove them wrong, right? They don't want to prove themselves wrong that right. they were completely like, out of whack when they decided not to do shit.
1: Right, exactly. If I, look, if I grow up with you and you're loaded and I'm broke, and I can't really point to any difference in our circumstances. It makes me look really dumb
0: <laughs> and really lazy and really exactly. foolish. Yeah. yeah, and and it's easier to just keep you down than me trying to get up. Right? Yes, because if you stay down and I stay down, then I prove that we just weren't good enough. Right? Exactly, you know, and that's what it was. And some people yeah. just have it better than others. But
1: damn, bringing myself up—that's well, going to take a lot of work. I don't think I'm up exactly. for that. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So nobody wants to put in the hard work and the amount of time that it that that it really takes to be successful. And You know, I I coach a lot of kids today and they say, well, I want to make a million dollars. I said, everybody can make a million dollars. And they're like, okay, so how long is it going to take? I said, 10 years. They're like, what, what do you mean ten years? They're like, I've seen people do it in three. I'm like, okay, well plan ten. If you can do it in three, you're good. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, plan for ten. <laughs> but if you're willing to work ten, no matter what, you'll make it. Yeah, like you'll sure. make it in ten no matter what. Like Dude, it doesn't matter yeah. what you do. But absolutely. Right? Like no matter if you stick to something for ten years, you become better at it, and you spend every day just becoming better than yourself the previous day, then in ten years I guarantee you'll have more than a million dollars. But yeah,
1: you can't honestly, I look at the way that we started this business. What we were about five years in, we were we were like, wow, we made our First million bucks is amazing. Might have been four years. I can't remember, but I mean, it was not a lot of time. And then we were like, "Wait a minute, look at this place. (laughs) This is a friggin' mess," and we still pulled that off. That was actually really empowering for us because we were like, "How the hell did we make that much dough running things like?" But but that's the thing. You see, you don't go into it having all the answers. You go into it
0: knowing what you want to get out of it eventually, and and you just figure it out along the way. And I think. Many people don't start with the excuse that, well, I don't know what I want to do, how I want to do it. You know, I don't have my idea fortified. I just have this general idea. But if you don't start somewhere, then you'll never start, right? Because that's that fear. That's that, like, taking that extra time to approach that person you want to talk to, right? Constantly giving yourself these extra fears and these extra reasons why you shouldn't start uh, and, and letting other external factors like the media and your friends and everything else keep you from even moving further ahead. So... I, I think taking that plunge and immediately thinking I move forward the same way yeah. it is very helpful. One, I, I give you a good tip for actually people listening is if you're thinking of starting a business, that's kind of my realm, you know, the whole entrepreneurship. Sure. If you're thinking of starting a business and you're still confused about like, oh, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? But you have an idea. Take literally the next 10 seconds after you have your idea and design a logo for it. And literally instantly you'll visualize your business coming to life and you'll reinforce your belief right then and there. And then it'll push you to kind of continue that research forward. Now that you have a logo, it's more believable that you'll have a business. Sure. And so taking these baby steps, you know, as irrelevant as a logo is, to kind of move yourself ahead, you know, and and continuously do and do and do gets you out of this mentality of constantly thinking and being afraid and being afraid and being afraid. Instead, it makes these baby steps equal to one giant leap. And eventually, you can start
1: taking leaps forward. I think that's great. I think the only problem is a lot of people go, they make business cards, t-shirts, and a logo, and they've got 20 businesses with <laughs> business cards, T-shirts, and a logo.
0: They, they just have to be able to make strides in the same business rather than constantly change focus. I think, I think that's, that's key. Yeah, keep focus. That's, that's the key part. Okay. I think if they're doing it for the right reasons, then they're not doing it just to make money. Because if money is the only motivation, eventually that motivation dies because business is hard, right? Most businesses don't make a lot of money in the first three years.
1: That is, that's true, if any money. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, is there anything... That I haven't asked that you want to communicate on the show. Sure, I
0: think we had a. I think we had a really good discussion in general about you know the idea that that business and entrepreneurship are different. But I think that I, what I want people to understand that are listening to this is that entrepreneurship is not just about starting a business. It's not about just starting, being self-employed, or coming up with something. Entrepreneurship is a way of life for yourself. It's something that no matter what stage of your life you're at, no matter who you are, that you're male, female, that you live in a big city or in a small town. Becoming entrepreneurial in nature is ultimately uh, almost like saying you become resourceful in nature. And I think as a human being, whatever you do, being able to understand that more things are in your own hand rather than constantly being dependent upon the resources you have out there uh, or that you're presented with or that you have access to. Ultimately, if you become your own best resource, then you're able to constantly take focus of your own life, whatever you do, and that you choose to start a business at some point or not because of that skill set you've earned is completely optional. I think when, when I tell people, you know, that our site is called 40 Entrepreneur in You, you know, it's ultimately that's our slogan, uh, they, they don't really understand that what we're saying is not that there's a business owner in you, it's that there's ultimately a very resourceful person within yourself that can do whatever it sets out its mind to do and achieve. If you believe, Enough in anything, you can get it done. And to be entrepreneurial enables yourself to understand enough about yourself that whatever you believe in, you can make happen.
1: Awesome, thank you very, very much, PJ. And where can you guys find more from you and uh, the book as well? Of course, we'll link the book in the show notes, Third Circle Theory, but where do you want people to go?
0: Uh, I'd definitely like people to visit secretentourage.com.
1: Uh, also
0: visit thirdcirclebook.com. And of course, if you need more information on myself and some of these different companies we talked about today, uh you can uh, check out pejmangadimi.com. <laughs>
1: or or try to check out Yeah, Pej- Or <laughs> try if you can yeah. if you can spell it. Yeah, if not, just look at the show notes well, and click the button. Ex- exactly. <laughs> I was gonna say it'll be in the show notes for those of you guys who can't spell Pejman Gadimi off the top of your head. You know what though? It is it's actually pretty much pretty exactly easy, <laughs> like it sounds. There's an H in there that you might not expect unless you know some some Persians and and the J sounds like is you know, a but other than that, it's pretty much exactly how it sounds. Thank you very, very much. No, thank you for having me. I told you guys this one was epic, and I was not lying. Am I right? You guys can definitely take tons of things away from this, whether you're an experienced businessman, someone who's looking to start a business, someone who's not interested in business generally but just wants to crush it in life, or if you're just looking for an inspiring story, this one crushed it, knocked it out of the park, if I do say so myself. PJ did a great job, and I'm looking forward to hearing more from you guys about him. Of course, I want your feedback on the show, and I want your guest suggestions, so hit me, Jordan, at theartofcharm.com. If you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank PJ on Twitter as well. We're going to have his Twitter linked in the show notes. And our boot camp details, our live training, our guys come in from all over the world here to LA, bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Notice there's two dots in there, bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. And if you're listening to this but you're not subscribed to the show and iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever, that needs to change because getting this stuff delivered for free on your phone or your computer while you're sleeping... That's the best way to make sure you don't miss anything. So make sure you do that. Of course, we have our iPhone and Android apps available at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone or slash Android. That includes a podcast player, among other goodies in there as well. So go ahead and tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week, go out there and get social and leave everything and everyone better than you found them.
0: For listening to the Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the Extraordinary Man at the of Charm Podcast.com.